0: very good morning to you all. It's lovely to see you all here this morning. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. You've just seen her. Uh, And together we, we do our level best to serve this amazing community of faith here at the Southwest London Vineyard which is a real privilege and a real honor uh, for us. Today we're carrying on our series uh, looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we won't get there quite yet, but be ready. Now, I wouldn't describe myself as, you know, as particularly creative by any means, but, but I'm always in awe of those of you who are we? Have many uh, wonderfully creative people here in the church, and uh, one of the many skills you know that I admire in those of a creative bent is is, there, is that kind of ability to look at something that I would probably consider fit for nothing other than the skip, and then sort of seeing it and, and seeing its potential, as it were, and then uh, possibly with you know a bit of painstaking love and care turning. Something that uh, may have looked like this, hopefully. Yeah, like this. Into something that looks uh, like this. Yeah. Or, you know, something that looks like, like this. Into something that looks like this. <sighs> you don't know how long it took me to find those images. Anyway, um, they're, not, they're, they're not from my own personal experience of... Uh, restoration They came from the internet. But I think it takes real creativity, real imagination to look at something that's old and battered and beaten up and to look at it and say, and say it doesn't have to be that way. This broken up, you know, this, this beaten up broken thing has potential for beauty. It could be something new. And this is at the heart of the story of the gospel that I think Paul is trying to remind the Colossians about in and through this letter we've been looking at. Uh, As you will recall, if you've been here over the last few weeks, there are some in this pretty new church plant uh, in Colossae. They've kind of lost their way and have seemingly forgotten about the life-changing, utterly transforming truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this letter is all about Paul trying to remind them of how central the gospel is, how central the cross of Christ is, how central the resurrection of Christ is, how vital it is that we never, ever lose sight of Jesus but keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. As you all know, the the story of the gospel, um, in, in essence, is how in the beginning God created a good World, a good world where uh, humanity and the whole of creation could flourish. But, as you'll also know if you've read uh, the opening chapters of Genesis, very quickly what happens is humans uh, decide to put themselves in the place of the creator, thinking that we have a far better idea of how things uh, ought to be, and unsurprisingly, very rapidly, things start to fall apart. And by Genesis chapter 3 we only managed to get through kind of two and a bit chapters uh, by genesis chapter 3 we are desperately in need of a savior someone who can rescue us from the mess we've made and from that point right back from genesis chapter 3 god who created all things is working out a way to restore and renew he he chooses a single human family through whom god will become human to accomplish that rescue and in and through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus god the creator comes to the rescue and like old pieces of broken furniture begins to restore creation and through jesus it's through jesus that god is restoring Humanity to himself, in the hope that they in turn will become agents of restoration, anticipating that kind of final and ultimate restoration when God's kingdom uh, rule and reign will come in all its fullness and glory. And much like the church in Colossae, uh, I have a sense that something has crept into our understanding of the gospel that's kind of diminished it it's kind of made it smaller and much of our understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, essentially what I think has happened is it's turned from this expansive narrative of the redemption of all things into something uh, far more individualized far more privatized far more all about me. And so, uh, you know, I humbly submit, much like the Colossians, we, we have this shrunken, abridged version, if you like, of the greatest story ever told. And it goes something along the lines of this. It's something along the lines of, you know, okay, yes, I, I, I see, I am a sinner. Although, if I'm being honest with you, I'm not entirely comfortable with that word or that concept. But I will concede, possibly, that I am a sinner. And I, yes, I, I see the fact that Jesus died for my sins, um, which is great. Uh, but the, perhaps the most important thing for me is when I die, I get to go to heaven. Everything will be okay. And there are lots of things that are wrong with that concept. Um, kind of thinking, uh, not least the idea that this story that we're talking about ends with us finally getting free from this terrible sort of physical world in which we find ourselves and instead setting sail for some, uh, I don't know, spiritual, non-physical state of bliss somewhere else kind of forever and ever I'm in. But... If we're paying attention to what the Bible tells us, that's not how the story ends. That's not how things go. The narrative of the scriptures is not that things that are broken or damaged or past their best, you know, like our pieces of furniture or whatever, just end up in the sort of in landfill or the incinerator. That really just shows a lack of imagination for what this world could look like, for what our for what our lives look like if the creator were to actually redeem and restore now just so we're clear there are multiple passages in scripture that talk about being with Jesus when a follower of Jesus dies okay so there are plenty of passages in scripture that talk about followers of Jesus finding themselves immediately in the presence of Jesus when they die of being with Christ Uh, Plenty of times, Paul says, in this context, he says, with Christ. The trouble is that for many of us, that's where the story ends. And so we cheerily sing, and I'm not going to attempt it right now, uh, but I'm sure it's familiar with you. Uh, We cheerily sing, when I die, hallelujah by and by, I'll fly away. I'll Fly away, oh glory, glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah by and by, I'll fly away. Finally, I'll be free from this broken and corrupt body and this broken and corrupt world, and I'll just fly off, flit off to some non-physical world to be in heaven with Christ forever and ever, playing my harp or something. But for none of the biblical writers is that the end of the story. That's just temporary. That's not how things are supposed to be. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ ends with this physical world and our bodies being restored and renewed. It's about the creator reclaiming and renewing both this world and his people and we see it all over the bible have a look at what you haven't had time to turn to it but Jesus in Matthew 19 verse 28 that speaks about the renewal of all things Uh, uh, the apostle Peter when he gives his holy spirit kind of filled sermon in Acts chapter 3 verse 21 uh, he's retelling the end of the story he says and speaks of the restoration of all things when John writes the book of Revelation in chapter 20 of Revelation, verse 5, second to the last chapter of the Bible, he says, behold, I am making all things new. There's no talk of us flying off to some other place, but actually of God's kingdom, of heaven coming here to earth and making all things new. You see, the gospel doesn't really end with an ending as such. It ends with a beginning. It ends with a new beginning. It ends with the new beginning of the creator God taking our devastated world and our broken bodies and our ruined lives and reclaiming and restoring all of it. The gospel of Jesus Christ ends with a new beginning. And the start of the new beginning that I'm talking about all began... Some 2,000 years ago, on a possibly misty morning outside Jerusalem, when the followers of Jesus went to Jesus' grave, basically to honor the death of what they perceived to be their failed and crucified Messiah, and what did they find? They found that the tomb was open and empty, and Jesus Christ had raised from the dead And then what happens is they begin to have encounter after encounter with a living, physical, breathing, flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, alive from the dead. You see, it's not only the cross of Christ, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the centerpiece of the good news of the gospel. God enters the tragedy of our human story, and at the cross... He takes all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the sickness and all of the brokenness of our world into himself and takes it to the grave and buries it there. God even takes our most feared enemy, death itself, and takes death to the grave. And the claim of the gospel is that God, in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, conquered and overcame even the power of death when he rose from the dead the claim of the gospel is that God's passion and love for this world for our physical world his passion and his love for you and for me as physical human beings his passion and love for the whole of creation is stronger even than death itself And the risen Jesus is a living, tangible symbol, a a demonstration of what God plans to do for the whole world and for each one of us when we put our faith in Him, when we come to the cross and surrender our lives, recognizing Jesus as our Savior, as our salvation. Now, that's quite possibly uh, one of my longest introductions. I think this kind of stuff is important Um, and it's particularly important as a kind of backdrop when we do get to Colossians chapter three, uh, which I promise we'll get to. You see, because this foundation and central idea that God is renewing and restoring and resurrecting has everything to do with what's going on in our world and has everything to do with what's going on in our lives right now. You see, because when we reach out to Christ in faith, when we surrender our lives to him at the cross, when we go through the waters of baptism, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we've just done, we are connecting ourselves to Jesus in profound and mysterious ways. And what I mean by that is that when we come to faith in Christ, when we entrust our lives to him, what is true of him is now true of us as well now again we'll get to colossians in a minute i promise um but if you've if you've been around here for any kind of time at all you'll have heard us talk about the coming of the rule and reign of the kingdom of god in terms of what we call the now and the not yet does that ring any vague bells nod politely Um, and if it helps But it it may help, it may not. I may just confuse you even more. Uh, Think of it maybe uh, like our broken pieces of furniture from the before pictures, which is very much the now. Uh, We live in this tension. You know, as we look around us uh, at our lives and the lives of the people that we meet, and so much of what we see is broken and damaged and destroyed. But there are also these pictures of the after, or what we might call the not yet. And we, we see these glimpses of these incredibly, beautifully restored pieces of furniture. The gospel tells us that when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, technically, we are no longer part of this world. We're no longer part of that before world, that now world. I mean, of course we are, but technically we're not. Ultimately we're not. Our true identity is no longer determined by the story of fallen humanity, that that Genesis 3 kind of humanity. Our hope, our destiny is not in the now. It's not in the before. Our hope and our destiny is in the not yet. It's in the after. And when I say the not yet... I'm not talking about some far away non-physical world I'm talking about here and according to the gospel we live in this tension between both worlds the now and the not yet the before and the after and one of the very real challenges that we all face is that we're constantly doing battle with deciding where we're going to live where we're going to position ourselves and in this Passage in Colossians that I promise you we will look at before the day is done. It's trying to set us free. It's trying to tell us that we don't have to live in this now world, this before world anymore. Okay. Colossians 3. Let's have a look. Starting in chapter uh, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ... with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave or free but Christ is in all and is in all. Christ is all and is in all. Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts It's quite possible that we can easily misunderstand I think what Paul is trying to say here especially when he says you have been raised with Christ and for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Uh, Last time I checked um, none of us here is is dead right now hopefully. Uh, So what's he talking about? And remember uh, what we said earlier. You know when we surrender our lives to Jesus at the cross, what is true of him becomes now true of us as well. So Jesus came into the world of before, the world of the now, and took into himself all of the brokenness, all of the rubbish that the world has and that all of our lives have, all of the sickness, all of the pain, all of the damage, all of the destruction, all of the broken relationships, even death itself. He has taken all of it into himself and has taken those things to the grave. And when he was raised from the dead, he was raised uh, with a whole new kind of being, a new kind of humanity altogether. And when we come to faith in Christ, what is true of Jesus is now true of us as followers of Jesus. We... Have died. We died the moment we surrender our, surrendered our lives to Jesus at the cross. And we demonstrated that by going through the water, waters of baptism, where symbolically we went into the waters, like going into a grave, leaving our old selves in the grave, and coming up a new creation. Our lives. From that second, that millisecond, that microsecond, that nanosecond, we surrendered our lives to Jesus. From that point on, our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. We have died to all of that brokenness and devastation. And we are now free to live in this world in a new and transformed way as part of His new humanity, which is why He says, Set your hearts on things above. And then in verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know, and you read that and you can easily just say, there you go. So we are going to heaven forever after we die. So let's just forget about this world. It's broken. It's corrupt. It's just a ruined piece of furniture. It's all going to burn anyway. Let's just set our minds on heaven and on where we're going after we die. Because that's our hope. Paul's words could be read that way, but that would be a profound misunderstanding of what he's actually saying here. Yes, we are to set our minds on things above, but not because we're going to go there forever and ever after we die, Because, but because as we see in verse... What was that? Did something fall? If you're, uh, if you're listening to the podcast or the recording or whatever it is that we do, it's... Very exciting what's going on here, right now. There's a congregation of stunned looking individuals looking for something and finding nothing. Shall I crack on? Where did I get to? Something, something here is broken and corrupt. It's like an old piece of furniture and just desperately in need of renewal or restoration. Um, so let's hope that the kingdom of God breaks through here at some point this morning. Um, let's, you know, what we're saying is, okay, well, let's not worry about all of that. It's all going to burn anyway. Let's set our minds on heaven, you know, because that's where we're going after we die. That's our hope. Um, and Paul saying, no, 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 it's not like that at all, you know. Um, Let's focus on verse 4. You know, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You see, the realm of the not yet, the after, is all coming here. Heaven, that realm where God's will and design for the world is perfect, it's coming here, to earth. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about Christ appearing in this thing about glory. It's not the glory of heaven... It's the glory of here. It's the renewal, it's the restoration. The only way I can even vaguely attempt to describe this, and again, this may confuse you even more, but let's just imagine, it's gonna take all of your imagination, imagine it's an insanely hot day. Uh, I think we've had one of those maybe this year. And I don't know, here's another stretch to your imagination. Let's just say you've all come over to our house and you're helping us, I don't know, um, do the gardening. Right? Um, we have a huge amount of land and we need this many people to tend, uh, tend the many acres that we own. Or let's just say more practically and more realistically, you've come to help us fix our broken deck. Um, please feel free to actually volunteer to do that because it is actually broken. Let's just say we're all here at our house and it's a really, really hot day. And imagine that we're all working away, beavering away um, really, really hard, and it's really, really hot. And then imagine I say, okay, it says, okay, look, guys, you know, you've been working really hard. Uh, in 10 minutes' time, just keep going for another 10 minutes, and then I've got some ice-cold drinks in the fridge. Remember, it's a really, really hot day. You've been working really, really hard. Uh, we can go and enjoy those nice, hot drinks in 10 minutes once we've finished our work and you've repaired our deck. You would never say to yourself, I hope, great, I can't wait to go and climb into the fridge to enjoy those drinks. It wouldn't even enter your head, I hope. What you would quite rightly assume is that in about 10 minutes, somebody, either Kate or myself, is going to go to the cold fridge and get the cold drinks out of the fridge and bring them to where we are. That's a very poor attempt at illustrating, I think, what Paul is trying to say. Set your minds on things um, uh, on this world, after the after, the not yet, because it's coming into reality now. In fact, that beginning all began when Jesus was raised from the dead, and we are part of it now as people who surrendered our lives and followed Jesus. Now, the question is, if that's true, how should any of that affect the way that we think and how we behave and what goes on in our hearts? Keep reading on in verses five and six. Put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God. Great. Favorite few words for someone in my position. And immediately, you know, if you're anything like me, we think of an old man with a white beard and a chip on his shoulder. The wrath of God is just... About God's justice. Look at what we've done to God's world. Look at what we've done to one another. There is coming a day when the Creator will set right everything that we have done wrong. This is all about God's justice. Have a look at verse 7 tonight. You see, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now. You must also rid yourself of all such things as these. uh, Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self and its practices. You see, we used to walk in these ways in the life we once lived. We were dressed in that attire back then, before, back in the before. But, But now, in light of the not yet, in light of the after, We are to rid ourselves of those things. We are no longer clothed in those garments. We are arrayed in garments of salvation, robes of righteousness. They're the clothes that we put on. They're the clothes that we wear as sons and daughters of the king. And those things that belong to that old humanity, those clothes, those rags, the rage, the anger, the malice, the slander, the filthy language, the lies, and on and on and on, we've taken all of that off We've taken off those things. We've taken off that old self. Because, remember, if we're connected to Jesus, we don't have to live like that anymore. Remember, what is true of him is now true of us. They are not the clothes that Jesus wears in glory. Instead, what we do, we put on, verse 10, put on. This language of taking off and putting on. Put on the new self. Put on the not yet. Put on the after. Which is being renewed and restored. Just like an old piece of furniture. In and through the knowledge of the image of its creator. And what Paul does is he goes on. It's to describe the characteristics of this new humanity. This restored humanity. What the world looks like when humanity is wearing those new clothes and the things that the creator wants to infuse into every single one of us. And so in this humanity, verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, our old humanity, that part of ourselves that still lives in the now, you know, the before, loves to carve up humanity loves to divide us and them whether that's around uh, religion or economic divides or ethnic divides or social divides Whatever we love compartmentalizing splitting things up us and them but in the new humanity centered around Christ and the story of God's self giving love all of those things are utterly meaningless they don't Matter, And they certainly ought not to divide this new kind of humanity that God wants to create. And so in verse 12, he goes on and says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He's talking about us, he's talking about you, he's talking about us. You're God's holy people, dearly loved. Clothe yourselves, back to this clothing. Get yourself a new outfit. Or get the outfit that you've already been given out of the suitcase and get the dust off it and start wearing it. Clothe yourselves with compassion. You know that you've got a a compassion outfit. Just put it on. It's yours. It's got your name on it. It's your size. It fits. Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. There's a really, really smart outfit in your chest of drawers called love. Put that on. Wrap everything up in that. Binds them all together in perfect unity. These are the kinds of things that are to characterize this new humanity. These are things that are to characterize us. In our new humanity, because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we no longer need to live. You no longer need to live the way you did. We no need to long. We no need to longer live the way we did, like some broken piece of furniture. Instead, like the furniture, we are being restored. We are being transformed with ever increasing glory into the image of His precious Son, Jesus, and. You know, this is not about who we will become when we get to the pearly gates and get allocated harp and halo. This is supposed to be about here and now. This is supposed to be about what God wants to do in us, in and through the story of the gospel, now, today, this morning, this week. This is all about what he wants to do through us in his world with the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is all about God, the creator, not dumping our world or our lives on the side of the road, waiting for it all to be collected by the bin men and taken for landfill. It's all about God taking that which was broken and spoilt and damaged and destroyed and stepping in to renew it and restore it. All of it. And, you know, as a church family, we believe in a God who can and does redeem and restore all that's broken in our lives. And that God actually, for some reason, best known to himself, that God actually wants to carry out this restoration with us as agents of restoration in this world. We get to partake in it. We get to play We get to do the restoration stuff. We get to see what happens when bits of furniture get restored. And he wants us to do that in our neighborhoods and in our communities and at the school gate and at our places of work. And the claim of the gospel is that on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the restoration process began and is continuing and is supposed to be continuing through you uh, and me and in you and in me. I need to stop. Why don't you stand? And we will see what the Spirit of God in His mercy and grace.